0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. I know you're tired of me saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it. Write a review, share with a friend, subscribe, help us grow. Today in the booth, we got Dr. Catherine Wilkinson, a close friend of G's and a climate author, teacher, strategist, and feminist. This episode is all about climate change. That's the big topic. So we get into it. A lot to get into. Kick your feet up and enjoy
1: Welcome back, y'all! I'm so excited to have Dr. Catherine Wilkinson in the building.
2: <laughs> bring her out! Bring her out! <laughs> How you doing, Catherine? I like that we're pretending we're all in the building together. That would be like so nice. Oh. Um, isn't the Earth one big building? Yeah.
0: The metaphorical <laughs> building.
2: Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. We're we're in the planet together. Um, <laughs> hey, <right>. y'all. <laughs>
1: Catherine, Catherine, Catherine. You know, I was trying to figure out what I was going to say as an introduction, but I'm awkward with introductions. So instead, I'm just going to talk about the very first conversation we had and go from there. I I don't even know if you remember, but we were at Cat Cole's house. Shout out to Cole. And I was sharing with you my conflict because I had never really... I never knew the correlation between racial justice and environmental justice. And although my heart and spirit always felt pulled towards environmental justice, I was like, I can't think about this right now. My siblings are getting shot in the streets and and incarcerated in, in, in mass. I never really understood the intersection. And we talked about this in depth. It was a very emotional conversation. I don't know if you remember, but it sparked me to learn more about it and start asking questions. And I remember I went to New York like the next day and I was with my mentor, Susan Davis, and I was like talking about this intersection between racial justice and environmental justice. And she was like, hold on a second. She went in the back and got a book and handed it to me. And it was Project Drawdown. <laughs> How crazy is that? How crazy That's is amazing. that, right? So for y'all don't know, like, you know, uh, Dr. Catherine Wilkinson wrote and contributed highly to Project Drawdown. So it was just like, wow. So I was just wondering if we could start off by talking about that conversation.
2: Yeah. I remember that conversation kind of being one of those moments where, like, there's a whirl of people around you, but the conversation just becomes the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything mm-hmm. else kind of went blurry um and i do i remember being in that conversation and i remember yeah i remember that kind of tension or or pull that you were feeling in in multiple directions and how did these pieces how do these pieces fit together and i think in a lot of ways it's a testament to how far kind of the climate conversation has come in recent years that I think we would have a very different first big conversation today. Um, and I attribute a lot of that to the climate justice movement, to the environmental justice movement, to youth activists, you know, really kind of schooling, uh, the sort of old guard white led climate space Mm. that I think, um, sometimes either wasn't very good at connecting the dots, or sometimes like when the Green New Deal first kind of came into national conversation, right you heard you heard climate folks sometimes say like, "Ooh, this is like, ooh, this is too many things all coming together, mm-hmm. and it was like, well, hang on you You actually maybe don't." totally have your analysis of this crisis honed if you're not seeing these intersections. Um, Right. And the ways in which Heather McTeer, Tony, um, said recently, like, the climate crisis is the table on which all other issues are set. Um, And I thought that was such a good way to put it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I was having a conversation with a friend um, the other day about environmental justice. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of folks who are just coming into the conversation, you know, they have this question of like, well, what can I do? It's such a big issue and all that. And she said something really interesting. And I wonder if you agree. I was Mm -hmm. like waiting to ask you about this. She was like, the individual, yes, they should be doing the things that they can, but there's so much power in policy and in, in corporations and companies who are transgressing yeah that if they were to change it would have a 80 percent impact rather than just the one percent or two percent that the average person
2: has what do you
1: think about that
2: yeah so I think that it's um actually I'll, I I like this question so much that the first episode we did of A Matter of Degrees, the podcast I co-host with Leah Stokes, um, was about this very topic. And I think it's a really important one because a lot of the answers that people have heard or been given about what can I do, how can I help, have been very individualistic, very consumer-focused frankly, often pretty trite and definitely incomplete. And I think that it's really, I think it's shortchanged the movement in really critical ways because we could all do everything we can do in our little boxes as well as we possibly could, and we would be nowhere Mm. near getting to the the root causes of this thing. And in fact, it's pretty interesting that the carbon footprint as a concept, that took hold because of a PR campaign that BP ran, right? Because if you are the fossil fuel industry, (laughs) what I want is for Genesis and Michael and Eddie to be worried about their straws (laughs) and their light bulbs. And I do not want them building collective power to change the madness that is the fossil fuel economy. Right. Wow. And so, yeah. So I think the question is, what can I do to like bring my superpowers to this moment. What can I do to be in collectives? What can I do to link arms? Um, And yeah, like, you know, swap your hamburger for an impossible burger and hop on your bike if you can. You know, like these are all good things, but I think to me, the individual actions are almost more about trying to be in some kind of integrity with our values and with the future that we're trying to bring about more than they are about like quantifiable, quantifiable impact. Um, so yeah, we need a, we need the biggest, strongest team possible. And if we're all worried about our little, you know, our little top 10 lists of our individual actions, um, we're not going to get there. Catherine,
3: it's funny. I, I saw, a movie that you probably think is terrible that most people did <laughs> sea spear C, which i heard is just riddled with uh issues but they also did call that that piece out talking about even just with like recyclables um and just the whole conversation of turning it around to the individual as opposed to the corporate and that was something i took away in the same lens um that you know we're we're tripping all over ourselves yeah. to do all these independent things which is good you should definitely lower your, your footprint. But once again, it's the collective at the macro scale that really has the ability to change. Um, but it's so insidious to that point that all these campaigns. And, are, and yeah,
2: yeah I was just going to say, and, and sets the, sets the choices that we even have, right. Have on offer. Um, like there should be lots of things that, um, are really easy to do or really affordable to do that right now, you know, you could jump through a bunch of hoops and maybe get solar panels on, you know, on your roof somehow. But like, but there's a whole set of policy and corporate decision factors, right. That are happening, that are setting the context for even the choices we can make in our day to day lives.
0: Is, is the whole just the last question on this individual, you know, you control your own destiny kind of narrative. Was that, is, was that kind of created by the fossil fuel industry or is that something inherent in America? Because you can, I can apply that, you know, looking at society through an individualistic lens to a lot of different dimensions, oppression, racism, as G brought up in the beginning, is that something inherent to America or was that, that's, that happened to, um, you know, kind of tarnish the climate conversation, or is that something more that uh, the industry itself kind of created that where has fogged up everything?
2: It's such a great point, Eddie, and my read is that it's both, right? So, you know, I think we do we hear really similar, really similar lines of of discourse around race and racism, right? That there's this persistent idea in America that racism is something that plays out interpersonally and that's it. Right. And, and there's this, I think, I think it's a, it's very much rooted in American culture. I think it's rooted in actually some aspects of evangelical theology, um, right. Thinking about things in this really individualized way. And I think in general, there's sort of a lack of muscle in the American public for thinking more systemically and more structurally about about the challenges that we face. But then I think, you know, you you take that as like the starting point, um, and then you have some PR wizardry, wizardry thrown in, right? right and right. um, and that really kind of you know takes an inclination and just kicks it up a notch.
0: Yeah, this like the straw thing. What's, this straw thing—it's just can we talk about straws? Like, what is this? Is this like just some complete delusion around? Like, why is straw such a big de- like? When did it get like this? Not that straws are nothing, but the straw like you see like straw entrepreneurs pitching on like Shark Tank and stuff. Like, it's gotten out of hand, right? The straw right. thing,
2: right? And you see people with their single-use plastic cup and lid and a reusable straw right and and i think <laughs> i mean i think that the thought was straws are like a an easy starting point right mm-hmm. like don't panic you know we're not taking away like your coke bottle with the cap that you can put back on because people will lose it if we do that right straws like that and then we'll we'll start a conversation and we'll get people thinking about single use plastic and it'll grow and snowball from there. And somehow it's like, yes, yeah, straws. That's it. Straws, the beginning, the end. Like it it I think it hasn't been kind of the gateway drug <laughs> that um I think some some people had uh had hoped. Um and look like plastic is a huge issue because that is right some of the lifeblood of the petrochemical industry. Um and you know we, But like somehow the sort of bigger education around straws has, uh, yeah, has not quite happened. (laughs)
1: Catherine, imagine, you know, we don't get a hold on this climate change thing and we end up um, killing off each other and other animals because we don't know how to um, be one with the earth. So imagine that scenario. Does the earth just heal itself and we're just gone? Is that what happens?
2: I think, you know, sometimes sometimes people say, like, the, the planet's going to be fine. Um, we're the ones, you know, we're the ones that, that we need to worry about or we're the ones who are going to go the way of the dinosaurs. Um, but I think the thing is, is that life on this planet is so profoundly interconnected that there is no way that humans take ourselves out and we don't take a heck of a lot of life along with us. Um, And I don't know what the earth is without the living systems that, you know, kind of wrap around it. Yeah, I think, you know, what we know about life is that it is so determined, right? That life has sort of barreled forward on this planet despite the odds um, for 3.8 billion years of this planet's existence. So will life find a way forward? Yeah, I, I think that it will. But the amount of sort of pain and loss and violence that could play out is just like, it's heart-wrenching. And so a lot of the ways that I think about, like, what is this work really about? I think it's about coming into like reciprocity and collaboration with life force, um, rather than being the species or at least in Mm. sort of dominant society manifestations, uh, extractive capitalism, all that good stuff, right. Um, feels just hell bent on, you know, kind of giving life the middle finger, um, sort of feels like what's happening right now. It does feel like that.
1: And I feel like we, we just might be a cautionary tale for a more advanced species when they're gonna look back on us and be like, you know, they were so advanced, you know, look at all this technology that they, that they had, but they, they couldn't keep their morality and ethics. Um, they couldn't keep evolving that way. So they ended up taking themselves and a lot of the planet out. I think uh, more advanced species are gonna use us as a cautionary tale.
3: Well, in case we don't get to (laughs) planet extinction, um, I'm curious (laughs) how you would rank some of these like moonshot (laughs) ideas out there. I know most people like in the science community kind of like naysayers and it's like, it's not about moonshots. It's about obviously collective action that's more gradual, but between like carbon capture and, you know, this young, like, I don't know if he's Danish kid or whatever, doing the ocean cleanup in the garbage patch. I don't know what else is out there. How how would you rank some of these ideas and the, what you think their efficacy is?
2: Yeah. So I think the the way to the way to think about it is that there is a whole system of stuff that has gotten us into the mess that we're in. And it is going to take a whole system of solutions to get us out of it um and when we sort of think about like the big buckets of what those what those things look like um there are a whole bunch of solutions technologies and practices that can help us reduce emissions of greenhouse gases these heat heat trapping gases right carbon dioxide methane all the good stuff um bring those down to ideally zero. Um, then there's a bucket of solutions that can help us bring some of the excess carbon in the atmosphere back home to this planet. Um, and some of those things are nature, (laughs) right? Um, photosynthesis is our most proven carbon removal process. Um, so, regenerating forests, moving to regenerative agriculture that rebuilds soil that has carbon in the soil um, we we basically need to let nature do its its work and then also even if we do that sort of to maximum capacity, it's not going to be enough right there's so much excess greenhouse gas in the atmosphere at this point, that we also need engineered carbon removal technology, um, things like direct air capture. And hopefully those are going to end up playing a role. They are not ready for prime time at this point. Um, and so it's really important that we go hard and fast now with the solutions that already exist, right? We have most of the technology we need to get to a 100% clean electricity future um, and to do that in the US by the year 2035. And if you get to 100% clean electricity, that becomes a foundation not just for you know the electricity that we use in businesses and homes and manufacturing, um, but also can be a way to move mobility um, off of fossil fuels, right? Transportation off of fossil fuels. It is um, really kind of this foundational, uh, foundational solution for for so many um, for so many other things that right now rely on burning oil or gas. Um, so I wish that there were a silver bullet. um, you know, I wish that there were a moonshot idea. I think the reality is that we need like a hundred moonshot ideas um at at this point, which I think on the one hand can feel overwhelming, and to me, on the other hand is like. I'm so glad we're not just relying on Elon Musk, right like i'm I'm so glad, actually, that we have this incredible toolbox.
3: I'm glad you actually brought him up because he's like obviously so easily like pe- you're either a fanboy or you just like hate him, too much money, extraction, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I am definitely can be on either side of the fence, whichever day you want to ask me about him. but to your point, he did kind of moonshot up electric use in this country. No one was doing anything about it. And you can definitely make a case that without him proving the model of Tesla, which had not been proven in a hundred years, we wouldn't be anywhere remotely close. So it's like, yeah, is that from an environmental standpoint, would you almost say he's worth being a trillionaire if <laughs> he can advance all this? Like the money almost doesn't matter if he actually is contributing at an outsized amount. I'm not saying he should be all this money, I'm not for that, but I'm just saying in value of what this has catapulted. Is that not getting enough love from the progressive left because they're only focusing on the money and not looking actually at the bigger macro outcome?
2: So I I, I totally agree with you that like Tesla, Tesla did really critical disruption in the auto industry um, because the big players were just like their strategy was dig your heels in um, and try not to change. Right. Um, And I think that was was really critical um, because we need technology and policy sort of both moving forward in this like nice salsa dance or something. (laughs) Um, But I also think that like we have a tendency to think that like that electric vehicles are like the thing. Um, And again, they're kind of one thing within this bigger mosaic. Like at Project Drawdown in our most recent work um, that came out last year, I'm, I'm no longer there, but um, the Drawdown review, which is available on, on drawdown.org for free in French and Spanish and English, um, and is a really great overview of the solutions we already have. Um, alternative transit, like by the numbers, is a more important solution than electric vehicles. Um alternative transit's not sexy, right? And it's probably not going to make anyone a billionaire or a trillionaire. Um but so so it's like to me it's give give kind of appreciation where it's due, I think, but also see you know, see that tree within within the bigger forest. And I think that some of these, you know, these other narratives that Elon Musk is shaping are incredibly problematic, right? Um, and and it's not just him, right? This is like billionaire boys club, um, you know, go to space to save the planet is like just another iteration of colonialism, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's always worked really well when we've said like, we'll take all of our shit and our problems and like send it over there. Um as opposed to like, let's get serious about, as, as Dr. Kate Marvel says, like earth is the only good planet and we need to act like it. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a, I don't know. I, I think he's a, I think he's a fraught character. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for, for some of the, for some of the innovation. Um, and I also think like, we should not be looking to silicon valley as like the source of salvation um in this moment i think it can be a helper
3: yeah i agree i think we have just a societal issue where we'll elevate anyone at any given point no matter who it is and pretty much every time that's fraught with complications and then that's just human nature where we're no one's good at everything we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses um, I have some, I have more follow ups, but so I'm gonna I see Ed chomping up a bit over there.
0: This brings up a, I mean, even just speaking about Elon kind of goes into the question I wanted to ask you, Catherine. I mean, the with Elon, you know, with Tesla, the claim being made that, um, you know, it has an outsized impact is really interesting. I mean that that have that has to tie to sort of, um, uh, you know, our notions about the creation of of you know. Uh, climate change and and, and climate uh, catastrophe, and you know, goes back to Eisenhower and and the creation of interstate highways and the creation of just the consumer of cars, and then you know, carbon dioxide, um, you know, or carbon emissions. I don't even know if I'm using the terminology correctly, but you it know, cars polluting. Oh, thank you so much. That's yeah, appreciate. That. <laughs> um, just cars contributing to pollution. Like a huge leap forward towards where we are now. So, you know, with, with that larger context, you know, maybe that that strengthens the argument for Tesla, but even then, like not to dwell on Tesla specifically, this is more of a question about project drawdown. In creating this, Catherine, have you found like the the sort of there's like the diagnostic part of it where, well, how did we get here? And the education around that versus everybody wants the solutions. Right. And sometimes people want to hurry past the diagnostic piece of it. Um, Do it is is the the educational part around how we got here as important, more important than the solutions? Or do you find that, oh, you don't even need to worry about how we actually got here. You know, straw entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, Let's just talk about solutions. You know, what I mean, like how does does that? Yeah does can, can you really create good solutions without the diagnostic piece or you know does it does it not matter? What have you found?
2: I love this question um, and I think the diagnostic piece is critical because it has a lot to do with how we define what actually is a solution, what actually are we working towards um, and and also what are, sort of the leverage points for moving solutions forward and and how do we deal with the barriers right so if you don't have a good understanding of like why do we have all these damn greenhouse gases right and why has it been so hard to rein them in and why has it been so hard to pass policy like we've known about this right exxon's known about where we were headed since the late 70s so like what the hell <laughs> you know like if you don't have some of that understanding about the incredibly strategic, incredibly well-funded misinformation campaigns that have confused the American public, that continue to confuse, right, with like, oh, yeah, oil company X is doing all of this great stuff to get to net zero sometime 50 years down the pike, Um, right, that like media companies are and and Facebook and Twitter and others are happily giving platforms to like it's no wonder people are confused it's no wonder policymakers have not had you know kind of the (laughs) the gumption um, to to do what what needed to be done Um, there's been an incredible leadership crisis and an incredible power game um, at the crux of this climate emergency. Um, And so if you don't understand that, then you're A, probably going to be looking for solutions in the wrong places, or you're not going to be asking critical questions about who decides, who benefits, and what do we owe to... The communities that have borne the brunt of the fossil fuel economy, right? That is, you know, we talk a lot about a just transition to a clean energy future. But the present system is profoundly unjust and is predicated on on sacrifice zones, right? Communities, mostly communities of color, low-income communities that this industry has said, yeah, well, F them, right? Um, You know. It's too bad, but it's it's the cost of doing business. So if we're not thinking about all of that as we construct our path forward to a more livable future, but a fundamentally more just future, right? I think we run the risk of,, um, I think we run the risk of chasing after Tesla's um, and other things that may, reduce emissions, but don't actually get to the heart of what it will mean to have a life-giving future for everyone. Um, And frankly, also a society that can withstand the impacts that are headed our way, even as we try to get to the root causes of this thing. That was a little bit of a soapbox moment, I feel like.
0: Good, good. <laughs> Put two yeah. soapboxes boxes on them,
2: but
1: speaking of a liv- livable future uh, inheritable tomorrow, what are you excited about right now? Is there things in the works policy wise this administration are they hitting the mark? are they you know doing what they said they were going to do like what what are you and your collaborators excited about right now?
2: Yeah, so um it's probably helpful for people to have the context that we are really in like a once in a generation and probably the last political opening for climate policy in this country that can actually, like we're so far on the back foot, but like (laughs) is still on a foot, if that makes sense. Like we won't have an opening like this probably for another decade we haven't had one in a decade um and so this is the moment mm. to seize and there's incredible work happening to make sure that we do that specifically through this reconciliation bill um that's making its way through um through the through the capital um And one of the really critical pieces of that is is a policy that's called a clean electricity standard that's been sort of morphed to work in the context of reconciliation um, that uses a set of targets and incentives and also some sticks to get all all electric utilities in this country tracking to 80% clean electricity by 2030 and then on track to be at 100% by 2035. Um, We talked about why that's so critical, but this is really the policy instrument that can can make it happen. Um, And this is also a really important time to pick up the phone and call your senators and call your representative in Congress. Um, There's a website, actually. uh, Call the number for climate.com that makes it super simple and walks you through making those calls. Like you literally plug in one number and it does it all for you. Um, It really couldn't be easier. And I know it seems like, do they care? Does it matter if we call? We know that electeds are not hearing from constituents about climate. Um, so actually a handful of calls can, can really make a difference, um, And it really is, you know, it's this fleeting and critical political moment amidst a summer of fire and hurricanes and floods, and we have to get it done. Like, we just, we have to get it done.
3: How, how, um, you know, for the longest time, or not for the longest time, but definitely when I was younger, I thought a lot uh, about just the increase in population around the world and how that was potentially the biggest issue, just like our rate of growth over the past hundred years was so unprecedented, you know, in centuries before there was large plagues and things that, you know, were terrible, but also kept numbers in check. And then I've been reading articles of late. That's basically saying that doesn't really matter that it's actually okay for us to still be increasing at the same rate. And like, logically that doesn't make sense to me, but can you, kind of explain why that actually is the case or or maybe I read that wrong.
2: Yeah. So so I think it's helpful to 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 kind of think about like mostly the situation that we are in <laughs> is a result of production and consumption. Right? And how many people on the planet are doing the consuming is sort of one variable, but there's actually been some really interesting and, and I think important work that's been done by Oxfam looking at, well, what does that look like when you factor in the incredible wealth inequality that exists on this planet? So actually, the carbon emissions of the top 1% are more than double the emissions of the poorest half of the human family and when you hear people talk about population 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 right they're usually talking about places where people are not high consumers right um they're not generally saying we've got to like keep the billionaires from having more than one kid right because those kids have incredible carbon footprints right and there can be these really problematic there's a very problematic history, obviously, around population control, mm-hmm. um, particularly in in BIPOC communities. And so I think we sort of have to hold all of that around around that question. At the same time, um, we know that, you know, the, the number of people on the planet, even if we are sort of super, super light consumers, It it is a variable in the mix, right? And so there's a really easy solution to that, which is to ensure that all women and girls around the world, all, all reproducing humans um, have access to comprehensive reproductive health care, timely topic here in the South, um, Ooh, <laughs> and, yep. and also have access to education. Um, and so... If we just actually focus on the fundamental human rights that everyone should should have, um, I think uh, you know the sort of ripple effects on how many how many of us call this planet home sort of take care of themselves.
3: So, like someone like just to be uh, hyperbolic, um, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, big environmental guy but is on a different mega yacht and private jet every other second with a different model. Is it fair to say that his footprint is probably a net negative even though all his little fanfare of environmental for all the other things that he's doing? You
1: are coming with the guns today, Michael. What's going on? Ooh,
2: I know. I'm ready. I know. I know. Michael's T- like, can T- we please put in. specific numb could put specific numbers to these guys and their environmental heroism or lack thereof? <laughs> um Yeah. I, mean, I just I-
3: feel like so much of it, this is like a fraud. Like so many of people's like big toting like Look at like AMFAR, all these big like philanthropy galas and stuff. It's so much like me, me, me. And to your point, the people that are always actually doing the work and you can take like any issue, like criminal justice for environmental, it's always like the people on the ground that are basically badgering state senators and congressmen trying to get bills forward, not raising galas and putting out a movie and yada, yada, yada. That stuff doesn't seem to do like anything. And so it's just very infuriating. And so, to your point, it's like I'm glad to hear that there are bills and things happening behind the end, but I'm always just so afraid that we're so enraptured by these other things we hear and see, and we have no ability. Yeah, we
1: need that too, Michael.
3: Why do we need all it? All hands
1: on deck, bro. But know?
3: it's not all we hands on deck. It. it has to be strategic. It's like all the hands, all the things. It's like we just we're going to lose a million people in the U.S. in COVID, and no, in like half the country doesn't care. Half the country thinks it's like.
2: The,
3: a religious thing or whatever And so I get a little afraid That we focus, we have too many things And we have the inability mm-hmm. As people to focus on All the things and, and because of that we get Nothing accomplished, like even though there these, We started this conversation With like the intersection I like jokingly have asked this question to like Add in others, but it's like, would you rather Get reparations Or would you rather fix the climate issue right <laughs> And like they really should Ooh. both be together. And it's a it's a it's an insane question, but like we can't do everything. And mm. because we can't do everything, it's seemingly we're not accomplishing anything mm. at a real scale. We just get scraps.
1: You're saying we can't we can't get on on the same page of what's priority as a collective.
3: I just think that because we don't go all in on one thing, we instead we, we we do a lot of a little, and then that's why we have to be satisfied when the bills that we get are just little pieces. So, like, we get the first step act instead of something bigger. We get, we're get we going to get a crazy watered-down Green New Deal because we're trying to push, like, X, Y, and Z bill, too. And it sucks, but I don't know if it's possible for us to do all these things at once. And that's what, like, makes me nervous at this environmental thing because Catherine's telling us we're on the back of one ankle. and it really is the intersectional issue of our life. So I, that's me being very pessimistic on this, but Catherine, tell me why I'm wrong.
0: Well, reparations will get us to climate change. And I just <laughs> oh. wanted to drop that bomb. There. Sorry, go ahead, Catherine.
2: Uh, I, was, I was actually gonna give like a really specific example um, of the, the Justice 40 commitment, right? So one of the big things that's gonna be happening is that the federal government's gonna be investing lots and lots and lots of money in moving these solutions forward, right? Moving a clean electricity grid forward, moving building efficiency forward, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That's going to mean money flowing and it's going to mean job creation. And one of the really important things, and that's what the Justice40 commitment is about, is ensuring that communities that have been radically left behind in the current economy um or radically screwed by the current economy are centered in the economy going forward, right? And so I think like that's just one very specific example of the kind of, you know, what Beth Sawin calls multi-solving, right? Um, that we actually can, I think, make headway um, on, on these interrelated challenges at the same time. I'm not saying it's easy. Um <laughs> but I think I think if we don't do it like th- the people that hold all the money and power today will just make sure that they continue to hold all the money and power going forward and I think they've proven themselves not to be good stewards of the collective, right? Um so I think we we like fundamentally have to, have to change that.
0: Catherine, what do you just, what's your take on all of this generational shade (laughs) that's going on, right? This is like the Greta Thunberg (laughs) uh, narrative of like you, older generations, you fucked it all up and you're leaving, you're messing it up for us. So we got to deal with your mess that you created. It's like, like there's something inherent in older generations and their mismanagement of the country and 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 the the planet at large and it's like it implies that whether it be millennials or maybe even gen Z maybe maybe it's past millennials are inherently more enlightened <laughs> and will save us or or it's too late to save us but either way it is the boomer's fault it is the greatest generation's fault and their mismanagement of the planet what, what do you think about that like it that rallies a lot of people or something like some like maybe it's Generational camaraderie or something, but I think it's kind of complete <laughs> bullshit. But anyway, but what, what do you think, Catherine? Shout
1: out, to a <laughs> young lion, the long wo-
2: young warrior. Totally. I um, you know, look, if I if I was a young person today, um, I've just been like coming to terms with the fact that I'm deeply middle aged at this point. Um, like I would be really pissed, right? I would be really angry, like, what do you mean? you guys knew, and you've been having these conferences for all of these mm. decades, and like- Facts. W- w- like where <laughs> what you know um Facts. i would be i would be mad um, but i would and I would in particular and i and I think this is what we're seeing from the from youth activists from the youth climate movement um is. Not just all you people who are older um, but but people who have been holding the levers of power um and and not being good stewards of of those. Um, I really get that, and what I think is really like beyond unethical is when older folks look to younger folks and they're like, "You've got this." <laughs> You'll sort it out. And it's like, no.
0: Right. Oh, that's a good idea. A 12-year-old
2: is not gonna have any kind of professional power for two decades. So, like at that point, we better be way far along in terms of sorting this, this situation out. So, like, no, it's the people who have whatever access to influence, to power, to resources that they have right now today to be leading. Um, And I think that, like, I think that that is what, what youth activists are, are trying to call for, right? Um, Is like, we're here to be sort of a moral voice um, and to hold feet to the fire. But you guys are the ones actually who have to, have to sort this mess out.
3: Well, the only thing I'll say to that is this younger generation has, an amplifier in social media that younger generations Mm -hmm. never had. Chairman Fred Hampton was like yeah. what like nineteen twenty? like so many of our leaders were mad young people he's a ridiculous figure but like he's still like look at all the amazing stuff he was doing for like the community in Chicago look at MLK look at John Lewis all these people were mad young he would have had
0: a crazy TikTok following Fred Fred would have had a crazy TikTok following crazy brand partnerships for Fred I don't
1: think he would be on TikTok bro I
3: don't but think like, he would
1: be on a TikTok doing the dances
3: obviously I gave a hyper. Uh, uh, you know I made that example on purpose but the point being is there's always been young people doing tons of work being loud because that's what being a young person's all about constantly pushing the envelope up and it's just like we're making it so big about this group just because they are on tiktok and all these things and they just are louder but that is just this is just like the cycle of life um that's all i got
2: hmm
1: I think that's a great note to end it on, Doctor Catherine Wilkinson. If I haven't told you lately, I love you, and we appreciate the work that you and your collaborators do. And I'll say it publicly: if there's anything you need from me, if you want to tap me for anything, like always, feel free to do so.
2: Wow, thank you, thank you, friends. Um, I we didn't talk about it, so I just want to leave folks with one more plug. But uh, it's sort of late in the summer reading. Season, but if you are looking for some truth and some courage and some solutions for this moment, um, check out the anthology "All We Can Save." I co-edited it with co-edited it with Iana Elizabeth Johnson, and it is um, essays and poetry and art by sixty women who are uh, leading the way in this tricky and magnificent moment to be alive on this planet. Boom.
3: Mandatory. Order it now. (laughs) We appreciate you.
2: Thanks, y'all.
3: Thank you. And we out.